I can show up in any space and and take up space in a positive way and be myself and and you know show the the wonderful things that I'm able to bring to a team and to an organization. You belong in every room you enter. Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats. This is Marcy Bullock, the creator of a podcast which helps college students who are seeking a fulfilling, healthy, and successful work and personal life. This season, we are focusing on versions of you, who you were, who you are, and who you will be. Enjoy. Hello, Wolfpack Career Chats. Today, Dr. Keisha Reed is our guest. Hello, Dr. Reed. Hello, how are you? Well, doing wonderful. Thank you for making time for us today. Would we be able to start off by you sharing with our listeners who you were, who you are, and who you will be? Yes, absolutely. So first, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here virtually and to connect with you and your listeners. So I will start with, I was a statistic. And when I say statistic, I was I was raised low income, first generation college student, child of divorce, raised by a single parent. So all the statistics, right, that says that it's difficult for a person to move forward. I am accomplished. I'm educated and I'm just a kind person. Like I'm a, I think I'm a pretty cool and kind human, human being. And then I will be, which I am today, authentically me. And I will always continue to be a light. And so that's me, Keisha Reed. I love the way you describe that. And thank you for being vulnerable to share about some of the struggles you've overcome. How we met is I was on the search committee when you were coming to NC State just a few months ago. And Share your current title here. I know you're my boss's boss. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So yes, your boss's boss. The official title is Associate Vice Chancellor and Associate Dean in the Division of Academic and Student Affairs. That's great. So the work you do is all about students. It's about students' well-being and how wonderful it is for students to be able to see you mm-hmm. as a human, as an open book today, talking about where you came from. Yeah, absolutely. So, Yeah. Yeah. And so let's just kind of tell a little bit about some of the struggles. It sounded like there were some things happening with the single parent raising and the divorce. That sounds hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I like to talk about that because I think people see us today and then I realize that that there's been a journey. So I will say, even though my mom was single, divorced, we were low income, we never lacked. We always had love. We always had the things that we needed. Like I felt loved. I had an amazing upbringing. So I have to share that and say that. But society often puts limits on folks that fall into those categories. That's why I said I was statistic in the eyes of many. But I was always raised that you work hard, you give your best, you do, you know, do the best that you can and be the best and the rewards will come. And so, yeah, so even though there there were those statistics, I was determined. So that first-generation college student, because I hadn't seen anyone, my parents didn't attend college, I'm in graduate from college, so that really pushed me to move forward. And my mom always instilled the importance of an education. So even though the statistics are there, I have my hands in quotes, I knew that I could continue to work hard and be great. And I'm grateful for all of that because it shaped me to be the, the resilient and hardworking person that I am. That's amazing. So as first-generation students are listening to you as a role model and feeling inspired, what Mm -hmm. kinds of advice would you give to those folks who maybe don't even know what questions to ask? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important 
to um, have a goal. And so I knew early on in high school that I wanted to be an, an educator. And so I started with little kids. So I started in elementary school and I worked my way up into and now obviously I'm in higher ed. But I think it's important to have a goal to find role models. We often become what we see. So we have to see the things that we want to become, right? And so finding role models, being able to ask the questions, asking folks, how did you make it in your career? You know, what kept you motivated? Also, I think it's important to remember that failure is not final. And so we often get stuck. And so we all fail. I tell students, fail forward. So what did you learn? What might you do differently so that you can move forward? But failure is not final. Having a goal, writing it down. I think that's so important to see it and visualize it. And then talk to folks who are doing the thing that you want to do. And that shows you that you can do it too. Those are really important tips. Failure is not final. That is, I am bold, all caps underlining that in my brain. It's really really just a result and it's Mm -hmm. teaching you something. And if you're not failing, you're not getting out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. So let's get into the role models. NC State is a big place. It's, you know, 35 plus thousand people. How do you find a role model? And maybe you can give the example of yourself and tell a little bit about your identities. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So I'm an African-American woman. I identify as being Christian, raised in the South. So South, you know, Alabama is where I was raised. Um, And so very much committed to very traditional values, you know, honesty, hard work. Again, I mentioned earlier, I'm just a kind person. So I just believe you you put the energy out in the world that you want to give back. I think we should always try to leave people that we um, encounter better than they were when we, you know, when we met them. I just believe in, in good energy and positive vibes. And so I just think um, it's important, again, that we remain authentic as far as finding role models for our students. This is a really large campus. And so I know it's important to find community. So when I went to undergraduate, I attended Alabama A&M University and HBCU in Alabama. And so I found community. And so my community was the marching band. And so I was in the marching band. So that was my community. So I tell students to find role models. You have to be intentional, you know, seek out folks that are positive, moving and shaking, doing the things that you want that you want to do. So for me, it was the upper class students in the band. It was the band director who I still consider a mentor today. Some of my advisors, academic advisors. So you really have to step out of comfort zones, ask questions, connect with folks that look like you and people that don't look like you and don't have your your shared experiences, because that's how we grow by engaging with folks that are different so that we get a different worldview and a different perspective as we move in this life together. So intentionally building this community, I agree with you. When I was an undergrad, it was the soccer team at UC San Diego. And that was my group and my coach and athletics was kind of my world. And Mm -hmm. we will link up to student involvement in our show notes so that students have an opportunity to see what the various communities here look like. So you shared that you are an African-American woman, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we had on an earlier podcast, which uh, we will cite the episode in the show notes, is about how you show up in terms of your appearance. And you sent me an email, which really got me excited because you said, you know what, I was um, a little afraid when I interviewed at NC State. Talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you sent the podcast, which prompted the email. And here we are, right? And so I shared in that email when you sent the podcast about professionalism that when I got my call for my first round interview for this position, it was back in June 2022. It seems like that was a long time ago, but I had my hair braided and they're called lemonade braids. And so that came from, I guess, Beyonce's album a couple of years ago called Lemonade. And so the braids are to the side beautiful, long, you know, but they, I had braids. And so I was preparing to go on a trip with my husband. So that was my summer due. And when I got the call about the interview, at first I was excited, of course, oh my goodness, and I'm getting a first round. This is awesome. But then I started panicking. I said, oh my gosh, I have braids. And, and there are times that as black women, we feel judged by our hair. And because it wasn't a traditional kind of straight style, I was I started getting a little anxious about that. And even my husband was like, honey, you know, they're going to be focused on you. So he really helped me to kind of settle in. And I showed up with the braids and obviously it was fine because I got the job. Right. But my initial thought was, oh, my goodness, my hair and a lot of black women, I believe. And there's some research that, sh that shares that that we are often afraid that we'll be judged or perceived as unprofessional by our hair. And so it really is a, a real thing that women, a lot of Black women particularly, deal with as we navigate society and kind of the traditional, I'll put my hands in quotes, traditional views of beauty and what hair should look like. Thank you for sharing that story because in that episode 191, for listeners who want to go back and listen, I was a little nervous to record it too because I felt like some of the things I was saying about being authentic could be interpreted by other people as not professional, but mm. you don't believe that, do you? Yeah. So I just think it's important for folks to show up and be their authentic selves. Now, I do believe, and there's a time and a place for certain things. And so we do know in the workplace, there are certain things in attire that you just wouldn't wear. And we won't have to go into those details. So I do believe in a time and a place, but I also believe in showing up authentically. And so when it comes to hair, especially, you know, Black women, and there is now a law, the Crown Act, that talks about, you know, um, not discriminating against women based on how hair naturally grows out of our head. And the fact that there has to be a law about it is pretty sad, but I'm glad we are moving in that direction. But I did do a little bit of research. I wanted to be prepared today. The Crown Act was founded or started in 2019, and Crown stands for creating, create a respectful and open world for natural hair. So that's what Crown is the acronym for. And it really is being intentional about making sure we're not discriminating against uh, Black women because of their hair. And so... Yeah, I just think we, what I tell students is when you are interviewing, you do want to get a sense of the culture and a sense of, you know, how other folks are showing up to work. So are folks showing tattoos, then that might be okay if they're not. So I think you do have to read the room, if you will, and understand the culture where you're going. But I think I, I'm hoping that we get to a space and maybe we're on our way that we're focused on people's credentials and expertise and their talents and not so much about how they show up um, in this quote-unquote professional um, atmosphere. So we have some work to do, but I'm hoping we're moving in that direction. So two really big things that struck a chord with me that you just said was, you know, that you can be authentic, but there's a time and a place and read the room. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm emphasizing those. 
Yes. Let's talk a little bit about microaggressions. So mm-hmm. I'm imagining that there have been many situations where you are the only person who looks like you in the room. Mm-hmm. Are you able to share a story about that and any advice on what to do if that ever happens with a microaggression? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So before I came to NC State, I worked at an HBCU. And so I was primarily surrounded by, you know, folks that look like me, black and brown folks. So coming here six months ago, and it has been a great transition, you know, for the record, I'm loving my time and loving everyone here at NC State. They've been great. But yes, there have been times, especially now that I am the only person of color, woman of color in the room. And so I am so comfortable in who I am that that does not bother me. I can show up in any space and and take up space in a positive way and be myself and and you know, show the, the wonderful things that I'm able to bring to a team and to an organization. That's the first thing. I am authentically Keisha Reed in all spaces. But there are times when folks may not feel that or may not feel that comfortability. And I think it just comes with maturity and just being confident in who I am, right? As far as microaggressions, honestly, I think I may have experienced microaggressions before I knew what that was. <laughs> Right. So now that I know what it is and I can name it, I honestly can't think of many microaggressions that I've experienced, at least in the last few years. But some of those subtle things when it comes to hair, you know, if a a person tries to touch your hair, how did you get your hair to to curl like that? Or how did you get your hair to do that? You know, that's a microaggression. That's inappropriate. Try to touch someone's hair. Very inappropriate. And so I tell folks, you know, if things like that happen, um, and I'm we're talking about hair specifically, but it could be anything like, oh, you have a doctorate? Oh, you know, that's that could be a microaggression. The assumption that because I'm a black woman that I, I'm not capable of, of achieving that, right? And so I would suggest with the hair, if someone tried to tell, oh, please don't touch my hair, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, you know, I'd rather, you know, discuss something else. I think it's a way you can redirect without being rude, but I think you do have to be um, confident in your boundaries and clear about boundaries. And so I think there's a way to handle it where you're still respectful, um, but letting people know that that's not okay to, to do or ask or to try to touch um, any part of my body um, at any time. Oh my goodness. What a great way to respond to that. And just being very clear about that. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like when you walk in a room, you exude confidence for people who are doubting themselves and really feeling like maybe they have the imposter syndrome. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Oh my goodness. Imposter syndrome is so very real. And I really didn't experience it until I started my doctorate. When I started my doctoral program, that's when it hit me hard. And it's those voices that tell you you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You don't deserve to be here. You're a phony. You're a phony. People are going to find you out that you're not capable. And I had to really silence that voice and say, I am here. I am prepared. I am ready for this level of academic work. Right. And so I had to remind myself that almost weekly during my doctoral um, program. And, you know, I made it. We got the degree and it's, it's been great. Um, As far as in spaces, like professional spaces, what I tell students, you belong in every room you enter. You belong in every room you enter. And so you walk in and of course, I tell people, be ready to listen and to learn. You know, we don't all know it all. I'm still learning, especially at a new institution and a much larger campus than what I've been accustomed to. So I'm still listening and learning and reading the room, as I mentioned earlier, but I tell students you belong in the spaces that you enter. And so know that, 
trust that you're worthy, trust that you're prepared. Do you know it all? No. Will you make mistakes? Yes. I mentioned earlier, failure is not final, but we learn and we grow. And so you have to be comfortable asking questions, connecting with people. Um, so I found a community here already at NC State where I can call and say, hey, what is this? I'm not sure about that. Because the moment you stop learning, you know, that's a problem. Like we should always be constantly learning and growing and getting better. But I would say if you're feeling, you know, those moments of uh, self-doubt and uh, imposter syndrome is normal, but that if you are concerned about how you're performing, you're probably doing really well. It's the folks that aren't concerned that might be out there messing up, right? <laughs> and thinking they, got it all, thinking they got it all together. So typically folks that are very conscientious and, and want to perform, those high achievers are typically doing well. And so just have confidence in that and know that you will continue to learn and grow and to just become uh, the best version of you that you can be. I'm sure it's helpful for people to hear that, that you just said that to yourself over and over again, every time you doubted yourself. Yes. With the current workforce now, we have multiple generations. This generation Z who is going out this coming May, may be in a room with a baby boomer or Gen Xer. How would you recommend that they interact in professional settings? Yes, that's a great question. And I think it's so important that all of our generations are open and willing to um, learn and to educate, right? And so I just think as Gen Z, you know, and I've gotten to work with this uh, generation, love how they show up in spaces, but I think it's it's important to be who you are and to understand where you are as a generation. So technology and, you know, TikTok and all the things that they're doing that I'm, I'm not doing, not all of the things, but to own those things, but to also be open to a more traditional, have my hands in quotes again, or more old school way. I think there's a way we can possibly marry the two, but I think it's important to just have the conversation and to be open. And if you're in a room with a boomer, to not belittle their experience, you know, they've seen some things and they can still teach us some things, but to be open to their way and hopefully the boomers are open as well. So I think all of us just have to be open and receptive um, and willing to learn new things. So I taught my mom a couple of years ago, she's 80, how to text and she's got a down pack now, right? And so she was open, right? But then I had to be patient to teach her how to text, right? And so I think there's that exchange that we have to all be open and willing to see things from another person's perspective and to also be willing to share in a way that's not threatening, but helpful. 100%. That's such good advice because there's reverse mentoring with someone younger teaching me something I don't know about tech. And then there's times where I can share the history of this institution that other people don't know. That's also valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a very successful upper level university student affairs officer, I'm sure there's a lot to juggle. And as students go into the workforce and think about their goals and they're really ambitious, how do you manage the stress and have that boundary between your personal and work life? Oh, that's such a good question. The work-life balance question always comes up. And so what I think we figured out, I hope, is that it may not be necessarily work-life balance, but work-life integration is what I like to, to say. And so I think that's where, at least where I am. And so I try to be very intentional when I'm at work, fully present, you know, getting the task done. If I need to take a personal call, of course, I'll do that, but, you know, get right back to the task. As far as managing all the things, because as a senior administrator, there are 
all the things that are required, right? And so I'm very big on self-care. So I work out six days a week. And so that is my time. I guard it. You know, I guard it with everything in me. I try not to, you know, change my workout schedule. I work out in the mornings and then get shower, come to work. It sets the tone for the day. And so that has really helped me to keep balance. I try to eat healthy, eat clean. I drink a lot of water. So those things that help me physically impact, you know, my mental ability, my ability to focus, all those things are important. But I think for work-life balance, and it appears that this younger generation really values that, right? The flexibility and to be able to, you know, run to the doctor and still come right back to work or telework. You know, so those things have been nice. COVID taught us that we could do that, right? Um, but for me, it's managing my schedule. Um, once I get home, I really try to disconnect. I really try to disconnect and to be present with my husband and the things that I enjoy. And so that keeps me going so that when it's time to get back to the work task, I've had the rest and the opportunity to disengage so I can fully engage when I need to be present for work. Um, so long answer, but managing my calendar, self-care is important, taking care of me so I can show up for my team, my staff, and the students that we serve. And so, so true that you have to take care of yourself. If your cup's not full, you can't fill anyone else's. And you're a wonderful role model for that. Wow. Working out multiple yeah. times a day. And, you know, just really this container is carrying us on this earth for however many years we get. So mm -hmm. it has to be well. And we have so That's many right. new wellness resources for our students that we will also link up in this episode. So as we wind down, you get the last word, Dr. Reed. What else would you like to leave our listeners with? Yes, 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 absolutely. I have enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. So I would say just to wrap it up, that all of us have a journey. Uh, none of us really have it all figured out. So don't let people fool you. We're all still trying to figure it out. But I think the goal is to stay true to your passion. I share that I'm an educator. I started, I'm in elementary school and kind of moved up into higher ed. I love it here. I think I know that I'll retire in higher ed. Um, but to find your passion, stay committed to that. The jobs and the career, it'll come. Just follow your passion. That's what I tell students. And always be authentically you. Show up in spaces, take up space be who you are, and just be that light and, and just allow people to see who you are, learn from you, learn from others, and just continue to, to be the very best that you can. It gives people permission to do the same. 